Hi Rachel, what are you doing? Just finished episode 45 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Are you taking a summer break this year? I am, so this will be the last one until about September. Excellent. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Suzanne Halsey about losing her dad and how that led her to take ever-expanding adventures and what they have taught her. Has she been on a recent adventure? She has, and we're going to hear all about it. Did she find a porcupine on her trip? Not this one, but maybe next one. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these experiences may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. So today I'm chatting with the amazing Suzanne Housie, who just five days ago completed a staggering 1,032 mile run from Land's End to John O'Grates taking 31 days with a couple of rest days in between, covering between roughly 25 to 40 miles a day. Suzanne lost her much-loved dad to cancer 10 years ago and in his last few weeks was cared for by the local hospice, as indeed were all the family supported. And since then, Suzanne has been an avid fundraiser for the hospice and doing ever bigger, more scarier challenges along the way, which I'm sure we're going to hear about. So welcome along, Suzanne. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast so soon after this amazing adventure has finished. And, you know, very aware this is your rest and recovery week. So first things first, how are you? How does it feel to have finished? Um, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it's amazing to have done it, and it, it's also amazing to have finished it. Um, and I'm I'm finding this week now that I'm just getting more tired. So I came back late Sunday night, Monday. I felt quite good. I really did feel quite okay. And then I think the tiredness hit sort of from kind of Tuesday onwards. Um, and I think my body's now sort of catching up with itself. I've come out with a bit of a cold and a cough. Um, seizing up a little bit and my feet are, are feeling quite sore and quite achy um, to be expected I suppose but yeah just general tiredness general fatigue so I'm trying to be kind to myself this week and get some R&R in. <laughs> oh good yeah I was glad to hear that you went straight back into work on Monday. <laughs> no it was the original plan to get back to work this week but um, Paul advised me my other half advised me it probably would be more sensible to take the time and I'm really glad I did because it's uh, it's been nice to catch up with life here before I then head back into work so right decision definitely yeah absolutely because of course it's not just the physical recovery either is it it's the um you know the emotional it's the the mental recovery from having because I guess you would during those sort of four or five weeks you were in an absolute bubble of of just doing what you were doing and then you've got to come out and readjust to to normal life and (laughs) And I guess take stock of the enormity of what you've just done. Yeah, d- definitely. I, I did a, a weekend last year with a company that are running this. And um, we were warned about the sort of the come down afterwards and how it would feel. Because um, we have lived for five weeks in a very much in a bubble, very much with the group. So there was 27 starters um, two actually had to drop due to injury. So there's 25 of us still still went, went on and carried on. And so you get to know them. They've very much become a family crew as well that were, were three consistent crew, but crew in and out every week. Um, and it becomes, that's all you do. That's all we've existed to do is to kind of organise ourselves, get sleep, get up, run. And so coming back to normal life has been, it's been kind of odd, actually. Um, I had a, well, I went to a shop, I think it was about week three to get some ice for my leg. And it felt really weird walking into a shop because I hadn't been into a normal shop or a shop for, for a few weeks so it, it's definitely taking some adjusting um you almost feel like nothing else is happening outside of what you're doing which of course is not true at all but adjusting back to normal life has been it is tricky 
I mean, it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to see my dogs and it's lovely to see my other half, but it's definitely been an odd transition. I'm getting there slowly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've been, so all of this was in a bid to raise more funds for the hospice. Yeah. How much have you raised so far? Um, so we are, I'm just shy of £10,000, which is wow, amazing. Just from this <laughs> event. Just from this um, event. Yeah. Yeah, just from this event. Wow. And uh, I actually ran it with a friend who had care from uh, the Wisdom Hospice way back before my dad passed away. Um, and actually jointly, I think we're now around about 12,000. So it's done really, really well. Our initial target um, was £10,000, um, which I thought was ambitious. So 5,000 each, I thought was ambitious. And we've gone over that. And I know there's still donations coming in so it's it's amazing it's the most we've ever raised for doing anything like this so the support has been phenomenal the the, yeah. the donations have been coming in and it's been amazing so yeah so uh, thank you to everyone that sponsored <laughs> you know and, how much you've raised like over the you know the 10 years that you've been fundraising um, have you got any idea well, do you know that? i did look at this yesterday because i've done most of it through just giving um i think it was i think it was something like Forty thousand pounds total, yeah. which is yeah. I mean, I, I just yeah over the obviously ten years of doing different things, and you know that's that's such a lot of money which will go to such good and will help the hospice out. In it means that they're there for other people like they were for us, um, and very much with us. Dad, my dad did not want to go into hospice. He was adamant he wasn't doing that, um, and as he got more poorly, the care for him got harder for mum and for all of us really, but especially mum. And uh, he made he made a decision uh literally one day and um he was in in the afternoon you know it was like the wheels were in motion immediately and I had no clue what hospice really was I was a bit naive I'd never had anyone in a hospice or had any dealings and I just thought it was some kind of hospital um and I imagined it being big like a hospital and, and actually the hospice I think has something like 14 beds um it's not a big place um at all so they put the wheels in motion and he was in by the afternoon um, and that enabled us to spend time with him much more on a kind of family level as opposed to caring for him, especially for mum. But that they and he was there four days and they cared for him exceptionally well, but they cared for us, you know, they fed us, they <laughs> they made sure that I mean mum stayed by his bed. There's a house next door, um, obviously needs funding that, that they put relatives up in. So my sister and I stayed there one of the nights. Um, nothing was too much of a problem. And they spoke to you and they talked to you and explained what was going on. And it was it was really helpful. You know, it's 10 years this year we lost him. But it's when you think back to that time. Um, but, you know, that's why it was so important for me to to try and do something to help raise money. Because you never know. I think that's what happens a lot of time with charities you end up supporting. You never know you need them until you need them. Mm -hmm. And so this was very much a case with us. I say, I remember mum and dad talking about it. And, and I say dad was adamant that the hospice was not for him. So for the fact that that decision changed so quickly and was acted on so quickly as well, it was a place we didn't know we needed. And yet they were there, um, you know, without question. So it's nice to be able to give something back to, to them so that they can carry on to do the work that they do. Um, and I think... So Martin, the CEO of the hospice, came up to see us in Scotland across the finish line, which was lovely. And um, at that time, we've had more donations since, but at that time, he said jointly we'd raise enough money to fund, I, th I think, two nurses for five weeks. So for the time we'd been running, we'd funded money for the nurses to be in the hospice for that time, which was amazing. And now the donations have gone above that as well. So, you know, that's that's phenomenal. And that's, that's, that's why we do it. I mean... Don't get me wrong, I love a challenge, <laughs> but um, I think it, it, it's the good that you can do and the good that can come out of it, and that's going to help so much. And I've met, met and made so many friends from the hospice. I mean, Andy that I run with, I met him through the hospice, and he's a good friend, and same as Martin and his partner Liz, they're good friends now. So, you know, good comes out of sad stuff. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be able to help them, and, yeah, hopefully we can continue to, to do so. So, yeah, yeah good, good stuff. Yeah. And you're certainly following in your dad's adventurous <laughs> footsteps, aren't you? Because really that's where, you know, your adventurous spirit comes yeah, from. Yeah, he was, we were quite an active family, but dad, dad was active. Um, he did a bit of running. 
I don't remember him running, but he did do a bit of running and went onto his bike after that. And I think he was, and I see myself the same, he was competitive with himself. Um, I'm not competitive with anyone when it comes to sport or especially running, um, but I'm a little bit competitive with, with me. So there's always a desire to go a bit quicker if I can or go a longer distance if I can and and that sort of thing. And I think that's definitely where, you know, we was all encouraged to go and try things and do things. So we did quite a lot of sport as kids because we just had a go at quite a lot of stuff. Didn't mean we were very good at much, but we had a go, <laughs> we had a go at everything. And I think that that definitely is where I get it from. And also my dad was, we're very alike. My dad was quite stubborn. And I think I am. I realised on this trip how stubborn I am <laughs> when I had a couple of injuries that, you know, potentially could have stopped me. It had certainly stopped some of the others. And I was always realistic that if an injury came, that would be what would stop me. It wouldn't be just because I was too tired or I'd had enough. Or, um, But I was determined to find a way, if I could, to manage it and to keep going. And I think that's where, you know, Dad always found a way around things, no matter what it was in his business or whether it was in what he did outside of that. And, and he was always pushing to go that little bit further. So I think that's definitely where where I get it from. So, yeah, I've got him to thank for that, for sure. <laughs> definitely. And did you feel that he was with you? Yeah, definitely. I was kind of, there was a few days that were super hard. Um, I lost energy drastically on probably three days that I felt were quite key. Um, one of the ones I was just completely lightheaded, was seeing double, fortunately had people in front of me and I just, I literally followed them. I wasn't very good at sat having that day. Um, and a couple of other days towards the end. And yeah, it did feel like that I could sort of see him in the distance and he was God, I'm so emotional. <laughs> yeah, he's so definitely, I think when things got things got tough, that was sort of what I remembered and why I was doing it, but also what he would say. And he'd, he'd just say, get up, get up and carry on. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of, that really helped. That really, really helped because you're doing it for a purpose. And um, I know he would have felt, he would have thought it was a bit bonkers, but I think he would have been very um, approving of what I was doing because <laughs> it was a little bit out there. So yeah, it was definitely nice to know that I had it in my thoughts a lot. Which was nice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because this hasn't been the only bonkers challenge, <laughs> has it, that you've done? You've um No, um, there's been a fair few others and it kind of started as it was I guess it was running. So I I mean I took up running um ten years ago and you know you have a big influence in <laughs> my kind of the decision to kind of go longer than a marathon. I used to think it was crazy that anyone ran a longer distance than marathon distance. I thought marathon was long enough. That was torture and pain. And I know you did longer stuff and I kind of always was curious as to how you did that. And I think that's was definitely an inspiration to to look at the longer stuff. Um, but I took up running 10 years ago and I did my first marathon while Dad was still alive, actually, um, in 2013. And uh, I was absolutely rubbish. I did a really bad Brighton marathon I did everything wrong you could imagine um flew the first half and thought wow how hard can this be and then crashed and died and burned in the second half um and did everything wrong did everything wrong so my thing from that was I was went over the finish line and said never again by the time I was in the car driving home I'd rebooked the following year and that's kind of I guess how I operate I'm always looking at how I can improve me not I say no it wasn't about times I wanted a time, but I realised that was going to take a lot more work. But it was always about how could I improve what I'd just done? And I love the learning. So I literally went home and listed all the things that I knew now that I'd done wrong and how I would improve on that uh, moving forward. And then the following year, I went back and did Brighton again. And by that point, we'd lost Dad. So that was a, a bit of a kind of cobbled together fundraising. It's the first time I've ever fundraised. So I sort of cobbled together something, went and did Brighton, raised some money for the hospice. And I guess that's what, that's what started it. And then the following couple of years, I got a London ballot place. Um, and it had always been a dream in a way to run London, even though I wasn't a runner, because I remember watching Telly with Dad years ago. I was probably in my early 20s, didn't run, was known for not running at school because I hated it, bunked off school. So my friend had to do sports day instead of me. So I don't know where it kind of came from, but we're watching on television. And I, I think it's hard to not be infused by London Marathon yeah. the energy and the, the it's just an amazing big race and I we were watching it and I said to dad oh I'm I'm going to run that one day and he and I don't, I don't think he just looked at me and oh okay it wasn't because I'd said it I felt then because I now was running it felt really fitting to go and kind of run London fortunate to get in on a ballot so I was able to fundraise for the Wisdom Hospice 
Um, and that one we raised, I think, over 4,000. And I thought that was phenomenal. So that was that was amazing. Um, and then there was a few more marathons. And then things started to kind of progress. Um, as an aside, we went and wrote, we went and did Kilimanjaro uh, in 2018. Um, that was with Paul, my other half. So it was really nice to be able to do something with him. And went up there and had the worst weather on summit night that they'd seen for many years. So that was fun. And then I think it was around about 2019 that I'd met Andy by then. And he said, you know, come and do this Man V Lakes thing around Lake Windermere. And I was like, mm, okay. And it was advertised as marathon plus distance. So I thought, well, how hard can it be? You know, I've run a marathon. Naive again. Um, and went off and did this, this crazy thing. We started at midday because it started across Morecambe Bay. So you're very, it was tired. You had to go when the tide was right. We came in at 20 to 10 that night. Paul wondered what the hell was going on because he knew I could do a marathon in about four and a half hours. And he was like, wow, I'd thought about six. Um, <laughs> and it opened my eyes to running on different terrain. There was also water obstacles in that one as well. So we were doing that. But realising that what I'd been doing was road running. And in my mind, when you run, you just run until you finish and then you stopped. And that was running to me. And I always remember thinking, how can someone run something like 50 miles without stopping? And I realised you stop. So yeah. that's what I realised. <laughs> I remember having such conversations oh, with you when I was doing I my long stuff. And you were like, yeah, how like, do you keep going? Well, you, keep you do going? walk a bit. <laughs> yeah, and I think at that stage, I was like, well, no, walking's not what you do in running. Yeah. Running's, you know, it was, again, it was just how my brain was working. But it, again, because it was something new, it, it, it just something ignited something in me. Again, I, I turned up with a massive running pack that was completely inappropriate I'd never worn it I'd never used a bladder before um my friend Andy was having to kind of cobble things together and get me through it but again I wanted to know how I could do it slightly better um I didn't get blisters that year but I certainly then got some blisters in following years doing stuff I wanted to learn how to get better at that and it just ignited something that actually this longer stuff was very different to marathon running and I guess that's what started all of this crazy stuff um and then we've done, since, we've done this year Everest Base Camp, uh, which was amazing and beautiful. And again with Paul, which is really nice because it's lovely to share adventures with him. We raised money for that. Um, I did a tandem skydive back in, I think, 2017. Um, landed on an absolute adrenaline buzz and said, oh, my God, I want to land skydive, which I now need to know that when I say stuff like that, if Paul's listening, Generally, something happens. And so for my next Christmas present, I got a solo skydive course, uh, which then got delayed because of COVID. So I went and did that a couple of years ago and jumped twice solo. Um, absolutely loved it. Wasn't very good at it. Got lost in the air. Couldn't see <laughs> where I needed to land or how I did it. I don't know. And I only stopped that because of Run Britannia. Um, I was worried about landing hurting something. So I decided mm. that that needed to stop. Um, and I, But I actually did get my niece a tandem skydive for Christmas when she was just old enough at 16 and we went in, and I did another tandem so we jumped out the plane almost at the same time I saw her tumbling out the plane attached to a, a guy and I thought oh my god what have I done and we raised money for that as well but she she loved it but said never again um so we've done some yeah we've done some crazy stuff uh, which has all led to I guess the, the you know this the running especially but going the long distances and then figuring out how to do it slightly better and and all of that I love that side of it the learning from it has been amazing and you know I look back at run Britain and think well there's a few things I do differently but I'm quite happy with how I managed it and actually it's all those mistakes you make along the way that make you then know what to do differently so I think you yeah. learn by mistake I mean I, I remember talking to people for this saying okay what do I need to eat what will I need to drink and they kept saying well, it's personal. Nutrition is personal. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me what I need to drink and eat. And they're like, you've got to trial it, and you do. You have to figure out what works and figure out what doesn't work. And I guess that's what I like. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You have to kind of put pieces in place, and sometimes they don't fit. So then you have to try again. And yeah, so there's there's been a lots of crazy adventures, and I'm sure there'll be more. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more. <laughs> Yes, I, I've seen your Facebook post. <laughs> I know, that's it. <laughs> I think even for me, that's a bit far out there. <laughs> I'm not sure I get that time out. <laughs> watch, watch this space. Yeah, watch this space. <laughs> so aside from what you've learned about the, you know, the actual 
physical practical side of things so you know what to eat what to what to pack how to sort out your feet and and things like that and how to prepare better perhaps what what have you learned about yourself oh it's huge actually I suppose I've always had this thing that um it's just kind of crazy that like with the running I feel like I'm not I'm not, I'm not good enough but not I feel like I'm a little bit of a in the wrong place you know what am I doing here doing this um and I had that going into rubber I mean this was this was huge and I figured there'd be lots of amazingly good runners and there were but they were such amazing people as well so they made you feel like it, it wasn't a race and there was no it was never competitive at all no one long times it wasn't about who comes first and who comes last it was just about completion um and I think really on that one I had acceptance of what I do or I'd almost justify if I did it okay at a run I think oh yeah but I was just lucky and I think I realized on run Brit that actually no it is kind of a few years of putting in a lot of effort and doing a lot of mistakes and getting it wrong a lot of the time to actually figure out what I need to do right and I, I think I've realized that actually resilience is I'm not prepared to be defeated by myself to say competitively I don't I don't mind who goes past me or who's behind me it just doesn't matter but I'm always wanting to slightly better myself and I think that's what's happened with the running I've gone well I've done 5k and then I did 10k and and I did a half and then what comes after half is a marathon. And then I was like, well, that, I'm going to stop at that. And let's just see if I can get quicker. And then the carrot was dangled about the longer stuff. And, you know, I guess run Brit was always the, you know, it's a thousand miles, a thousand thirty miles. It is for me, it's probably the biggest it's ever going to get. So can I really do it? And uh, someone asked me that and I was like, what? they said, why did you enter it? And I was like, why not? <laughs> I never <laughs> I love that. believed I couldn't do it. And I and I'm I struggle with people. I know people struggle with that, but I kind of struggle. Like if you really think you want to do something, you can. You know, I think you've got to find how to get through the barriers and how to get over the obstacles. Because on paper, I suppose I wasn't really the best candidate for this. I don't have masses of ultra experience. Um, you know, I've only really been long, long running longer for I don't know, what the last four years, five years, uh, and even that, then not a lot. And yeah, I, and you hadn't I done an like, awful lot of multi-day stuff either no, by that point, had you? No, I'd done a few one days and then literally last year did, did I think, 300Ks over two days, which was perfect training for this, like absolutely perfect um, from a kit point of view, from a distance point of view. that that re But I loved it. You know, I, I did quite a few of those and I absolutely loved them. But that was it. You know, when I spoke to some of the, I mean, you know, some of the epically long stuff and a lot of these guys have done, I and mean, I don't know the names of them all, but the, the really long, tough races. And I thought, God, who am I coming into this thinking I can do it? But then someone said, well, you know, well, I never thought I couldn't. I, injury was the only thing in my head that could stop me. And an injury that was going to have me out as opposed to something I could manage. And even when I got the problem with the tendon, it was like, right, how do I? I think I like problem solving. How do I not fix this? Because I'm not going to fix this. I'm still running on it. But how am I going to manage this? How am I going to manage it safely? How am I going to manage it till I get to the end? And then deal with the carnage afterwards. So I think I've learned that I'm actually a, perhaps a bit of a problem solver and a definitely resilient, you know, and I, I you know, that's hard to sort of say, because I think, I think everyone's like that. And I realise perhaps they're not. <laughs> and so I think, and stubborn, you know, I, I'm not giving up. I don't see any reason to stop, you know, even on the days where I just felt like, I didn't want to carry on because of the energy, but I wanted to carry on because there's another five miles to do. You're not finished until you get to the end. Um, and I think the further in we got, the harder it would have been. So the, the deal with this run was that you could take time out for injury if need be and you could come back into it. So that was always in the back of your mind that there was a minibus you could get in. You could get in a minibus for 10 miles and get out again and finish. So there was a lot of that going on um, within the run because people were injured, but all of them would have carried on if they could injury was the thing that put people out the most and that's what I realized I was amongst a bunch of people that had the same mindset and I realized that I had that mindset as well and I, I knew I was stubborn but I realized perhaps how much I put that into good use rather than just being a bit stubborn you know which actually to put it to good use because it just didn't occur to me to stop it just genuinely didn't occur to me and, and at the beginning I was like you're not getting in the minibus that was always the kind of like you're not getting in the bus unless you're forced to by injury or 
if we were out for so long from a safety point of view, they needed to call it. But we had a call on day three. So we spent the first three days on the coastal path in Cornwall on some of the hottest days of the year. Uh, we were running across, we were, we were sliding across sand dunes, we were across beaches. And I hadn't quite expected that. Like it was hard going. Uh, we had a particularly long day. There was a group of six of us and we were all together. We had two miles to go. I think it was a, oh, a 38 mile a day, I think. And James, the race director, rung us and said, how are you doing? And Andy took the call and he was like, we're fine. And he's like, you know, time, guys, it's been a long day. Do you want me to get the bus out? And he was like, I'll ask the guys and I'll let you know. And he asked us and we were like, no, definitely not. And we're, we're safe in numbers. You know, we'll sort our own food out if we need to. Um, and that's what's also nice. Although he don't make the call, he was absolutely in it for us to complete as much as possible. So they were, everyone wanted you to do as much as you possibly could. And uh, that first week was horrific because it was long, it was hot and it was just, you know, unbelievable. But again, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't do it. Some of the days, day seven of week one was 40 miles. We did 41 because we went off course. Mm -hmm. um, and that day had scared me a lot. That's the day that I thought, well, you've been running for a week. You're not used to running these distances back to back. And it's day seven and it'd been really hot. And it's the longest, second longest day on course um, with quite a lot of hilly stuff, quite a lot of elevation in it, you know, not the easiest terrain. But again, it just, we just went from pit stop to pit stop. That's how I functioned. And I never looked at the mileage until it was below marathon distance. So it was like, well, we've got, we've got less than a marathon to do you now. You can do a marathon. So that's how my mindset worked. If I looked at it and it said 40 miles, I just wouldn't, I couldn't, I didn't look at that screen. So I didn't look at it. And then we would look at it from, right, it's 20 miles. And then it was half marathon. And when you're into single figures, of course you can do 10 miles, you know. So that's how I kind of, and it was literally pit stop, pit stop. You can get refueled and get going again. And I think that's the way I managed it was in chunks every day. Because if you looked at it, I didn't look at it on the map much because it is daunting. I didn't look at the mileage because it's daunting. I just looked at get each day done and chunk each day up and tick that box. And then you go again tomorrow and you rest as much as you can and you do what you need to do. And that's just that's just how I did it. And I know from being on the mountain twice with Everest Base Camp and Killy, that's how Paul and I actually managed the days on the mountain. It wasn't a case of we've got this far to go and this much climbing. It was, and the routine was, I love that routine. I actually quite love, get up, do this, do this, go. And actually when you're in the, the luxury of doing Rumbrit or Killy or Everest, you don't have anything else to do. So your sole focus is on the day ahead. And actually that's quite a privilege to have, you know, when you're training for this stuff, you're also working and living life and doing normal stuff. Whereas, you know, the luxury of this was, all we did was run, you know, that, we got the easy part. <laughs> I think the hard part was done. The training was done. And so the easy part was the, the only thing I had to focus on. And I liked that. I liked that kind of routine. And I've always liked that on the mountain. And there's, this is what you're doing. Someone else telling you what to do. I quite like, I quite like that. I think because I run, I work for myself and I run my own diary. I find that quite, quite taxing sometimes of trying to fit people in and figure out my routine. So I actually love it when someone tells me you're up at five and you're leaving at six and you need to be ready. And I do. Yeah. <laughs> will it change that you know what you've what you've learned about that? Will that will that change going forward in I your personal really and business life? Do you think? Like to think so. I think it's given me the longest time away that I've ever had, and so there's been lots of thinking time. Um, and I love my work. The trouble is with loving your work is that you can do it too much. Mm. And I have made changes over the years, as as you know, to work to make life easier for myself and. Certainly some of the changes I made, gosh, now eight years ago has enabled me to do this. So without those changes, I never would have been able to do this. Um, I think I, I need to get a slightly better life work balance. Um, and I'm hoping that that's, I can't promise anything because I know what I'm like, but I'm hoping that that time has made me realise how precious time is. And like, you know, someone said to me, well, how, how did you take the time off for of this? And it was a massive thing if I'm honest, taking the time, being self-employed, the time away from home, asking Paul to basically, you know, get keep running things at home, um, missing everybody. It, it was huge. You know, I doubted it a few times and thought, what am I doing? This is such a luxury. But I actually thought, you know what, I, I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, so I realised you can make things happen. And I think it's about looking at what your goal is and then taking away obstacles rather than putting too many obstacles in that it seems impossible 
And I think I've been guilty of that in the past. I can't do it because there's a list of reasons why I can't. But actually, there should be, well, I, I can't do it at the moment because, but how am I going to get rid of those obstacles? And I think that's been part of what the run has done is go, okay, you know, we're absolutely shattered. We're struggling with this, that and the other. But how can I get over that? So I think definitely it'll be interesting to see how the next few months go in terms of how I how I am. I think this is the biggest thing I've ever done that will change how I think. So I like to think it will get me, I don't know, a bit more organised and a bit more orderly in life and a better balance. Because, you you know, you do realise you, you only get one stab at this. Like, yeah. this is this is it. I saw someone on Facebook the other day and they said, it's, it's a short journey, enjoy it. And that's so true. And people say to me, oh, I can't, you know, I wouldn't want to go and run. I'm like, that's fine. Not everyone's a runner. But find what you want and go do it because you might not have the chance again or you might regret. I don't I don't want to go regretting anything. And I want to go knowing my body's worked flipping hard and I want it to be worn out when I go because I need to have done everything that I want to do. So I don't want to have regrets about not doing stuff. And I thought... You know, I didn't know how I'd feel about running at the end of this. I thought I might be like, oh, do you know what? That's me. But I can't wait to get back out there again. And I can't wait to get out on. I am a road runner. I like road running. I'm comfortable and I'm confident on the roads. And I'm not very good at going on trails. I'm worried I'm going to get lost. I've got a bit of a dodgy knee. I'm worried about terrain. But that's taught me a lot as well. I think I've slightly better technique on the trails and a bit more confident on the trails. And I definitely want to go and find some stuff to play with now and see what I can do with it. So it's given me... I think someone said, you're never going to get bigger than this. Probably not, but I could still go and do, from this, I'm going to go and do other stuff that yeah. I probably wouldn't have done yeah. pre Rumbrit. So this definitely opened up doors for, in my mind for running. Actually, I've enjoyed running in a very different way. I mean, it's, it's just been beautiful. You know, we've been, they said it was 50-50 road and trowel, but I reckon it was 75 trowel and 25, which actually was good because some of the stuff we've seen has been, just oh, you must have seen some uh, just some beautiful. Yes. I mean, you ran through beautiful parts of you know this fabulous island that we live on. Yeah, yeah. Just we've seen so much. I think the the highlands were probably the highlight because they are so remote. And we had a day like just last week, and they called it Bog Day because you end up across the bogs. And I didn't know what bogs. I thought bogs were going to be mud up to my chin. Uh, there was an accident last year in one, so I was very worried about that day. And it was tough. You know, you were testing every step because it was one step to the wrong way and you were not, it wasn't muddy, but it was the boggy sort of wet. Mm. And all we ended up with, you know, we had water up to our mid calf. If that, that was it. There was a lot of stuff. To, and we got to the top and we were climbing up and it started to rain and we had to wait for a couple of people because uh, we were grouped at that point. I wanted to go as a group. And it started chucking it down. And I, the first time ever, really, I got cold. My feet were wet and it was raining and it was high. And I was like, oh, a bit done. And we'd done... <laughs> We'd done a mile in 32 minutes and a mile in 36 minutes. And you suddenly looked at the clock and thought, and we've got another 20 miles to still go. And it was lunchtime and it all started to feel a bit grim. And then we got to the top and we were high and you looked down over one of the locks and it was just, and you just all around you, there was nothing. And it was just so beautiful. And then you suddenly, all the tiredness goes and you're like, actually it's been worth, has been worth it. The payoffs are there. And we, we've just accessed places that I think people don't know are there. And we've seen some very touristy places as well, you know, running through Cornwall, it's quite busy, but I've still seen beautiful parts of Cornwall that, you know, I know Cornwall's stunning, but just unbelievable. So it's been it's been a pleasure and I definitely wouldn't want to do it the roadway because I think it would be mind-numbing. Mm. I hats off to people that do it that way because I think part of this journey was all about seeing Britain and that's why it was Run Britannia and not Le Jog really because it wasn't the Le Jog route, it was a scenic route and oh my god they definitely delivered <laughs> it is like, you know and the plan now is to go back um with Paul and to sort of maps him bike and me run some of it again just you know with the camper van every now and again just go and run 10 miles here or there and I you know that's what it's given me it's the, the freedom to go right we're going to go and do so as much as it's been an amazing journey and it's over I think it's opened up more doors than I thought it would um, and I'm so pleased that I haven't gone off running. <laughs> if anything, I'm more, you know, more keen to get back out and do stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you all know, isn't it, the difference between running on the roads and running in trousers, is, mm. you know. And I, and I, and I, and Paul, when he runs, he he'll go off through muddy fields for a few miles. I mean, that's what he loves. And I'm like, oh no, I'll stick to the road. Now I think I would definitely, especially in Kent, we've got a lot to explore in Kent, and so. 
that's my next sort of challenge is to go a bit exploring and see see what's out there it's from a yeah. running point of view yeah no there's some fabulous trails in in Kent two dogs just come in the room oh. hopefully they'll be quiet <laughs> Open doors, these dogs. <laughs> yeah, so there's so much out. There's so much out there. It's unbelievable. It's just crazy. So that's the you know get over this and then figure out how we're gonna do that a little bit, explore a bit more. So yeah, yeah. as you were yeah. talking about the um, you know that it's this has been a you know a, a fantastic adventure achievement that you've done, but actually it's just kind of hopefully opening up the doors to do other stuff. Just reminded mm. me of that. Marianne Williamson quote, which says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And it is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? Because Very it's powerful. like, actually, we're not, we're not frightened. It's like when you do something, you know, as amazing as what you've done, you then think, oh, my God, if I can do this. What else can I do? I think that's definitely, I mean, that certainly was something that our race director said to us on a few occasions. And he said, you know, that the other part, which was slightly strange, um, was that we, as a group, normalised what we were doing. Yeah. So in the beginning, the long day seemed long. And, and literally by week three, when we had this active recovery week, we were talking about those days as short days. And the shortest day was, I think, 25.5. <laughs> so it, they weren't short days, but they were shorter and he said, you know, a couple of times he said, know that this isn't normal. What you have, what you are doing is abnormal, but you've normalized it. And it's so, and I think that was part of the success of it. Is if you surround yourself with people that are in the same mindset, you're going to be more driven to keep going. And it just, it just didn't, you know, it was 30 miles today. It was like, you said that, you know, I was training rounds at home with 20 miles and they were long. And if you said I had to put another 10 on and, you know, the terrain, I'd be like, oh, that's going to be really hard. But it just became the normal. And actually what that then made you go, and he said, you know, this is, you'll be able to set your mind to anything. You know, once you've done this, if you want to do stuff, you realise it's opening doors completely. So I think that's what's been nice for me is that I thought there might feel like there's some closure that perhaps I didn't want on this. Because it's all, you know, when people have said, oh, and, and what's next? I'm like, well, it can never compare to run it. Like this is unique, but there'll be other stuff that I'll do because of this. So it's open doors as opposed to going, right, you've done that. You've done the longest run of your life. That's yeah, that's it now. You know, you go back to your marathons or go back to whatever. And actually it feels more like I can go and explore in a totally different way. And it's definitely open doors, definitely. You sort of think, well, if I can do this, what else can I do? Mm. You know, it becomes and it's it is it has been a mindset thing, you know, and that's what again, when I when I'm amongst the group, their mindset, I I never heard anyone moan ever. Like nobody, like we might go, God, I'm really tired, but it wasn't in a Nobody moaned. Nobody went, oh, I can't do this tomorrow. I don't want to do this. Everyone dealt with themselves so well. I think that was a credit to the group that helped us all because you were surrounded by this positivity and nobody was stopping unless they were kind of had to. That's what. And also the supportiveness of the group, those that were having to stop, obviously didn't feel very good about themselves, but they were keeping their spirits up because we were still out there and we felt bad for them, but we were trying to keep their spirits up and encouraging yeah. them when they got back. And so it became such a, yeah, it was such a collective thing. And it was so amazing how that you just, I think you were on the wave with that. It, that's why it just, because someone said to me, didn't you question getting up some days? And I'm like, yeah, when the alarm first goes off, first couple of minutes, you're thinking, oh my God, but actually you don't have time. So you're out of bed and you're dressed before you know it. And, you don't kind of question it. Um, and I think it's, for me, it, it's given me, so I don't know if you saw on the Facebook, we had um, Ryan Brett come and see us in Wales, who is the first guy to have had a kidney transplant to then run the jog. He did it back in 21. He did the direct route in about 17 days, which is phenomenal. And I had, we have mutual friends, so that's how we got to kind of meet. And he came to see us, which was amazing, and bought Harry Bows, which was more amazing. And uh, <laughs> he... He to me, I, I was in awe of that anyway. Like he's phenomenal. He didn't run pre his kidney transplant, and really? what he's now doing. Yeah, yeah. So he took up running as a result of the kidney transplant. He's, I think, got a hundred miler coming up over Brecon Beacons in the next week or so. And he's, but he's also done other stuff. Like it's really opened doors for him. And I think he just thought, I'm not wasting my life. I've been given a chance. I'm not wasting my life. He's clearly very good at running. Um, but he, he did it self-supported 
So he ran on his own with his backpack. He checked into hotels, would order a free course meal all at once and eat it, go and have a cold bath, sleep for six hours and go again. And I have, I'm now thinking, how did he get himself out of bed every morning without the people generating the energy around us that we had? Yeah. Um, like, wow. You, you know, like it was so lovely to meet him, but it kind of didn't sink in until afterwards of what he what he did and he did it all on the road and you know it, it's just phenomenal you know it's just phenomenal but you think well actually if I chose to do that I would be able to do it whereas I look at it and think god that must have been tricky you know we were lucky to have what we had so it's just showed you what yeah for someone like that to have not been a runner to have taken he's gone and done bungee jumps and all kinds of crazy things and I think he's just saying that's you know that's 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 living life and and he's been a, he's been lovely. He's supported us all the way, and it's been you know I think when someone's done something like that, they totally know what you're going through. Yeah. And he's really been a lift to us at times. But you know, hats off to anyone that does something like that solo because I would say that's tougher because the group and the positive energy in the group really was what mm. kept us going. Even when you know there was funny enough, it was one morning and it was last week and it was day three from finish. Um. We'd had two long days. We'd had, I'd had a, a bad day and we had two long days and we were still out on a 35-mile day. None of us had slept that well. The youth hostels were interesting from a sleeping point of view because, you know, you're in groups and it was tricky. The fire alarm had gone, no, the smoke alarm had gone off in the morning and was really loud and everyone's energy was, and it's the only time I felt it, was that everyone's energy felt low. And I don't know if that was just an accumulation of tiredness and being close to the end but not quite there. And it was the only time you could feel a very subdued feeling amongst the group. And we all set off quietly and just a feeling of, I don't know, it was a feeling of lowness. And it, yeah. that was uh, that, that was the start of Bog Day. <laughs> and, and actually at the end of that, when everyone had experienced the views and that the hard work was all worth it, it was, it was phenomenal. But it was the only time I felt, and it wasn't terrible, and it passed. And the next day, everyone was like, we're two days to the finish. And the last day, it was like party day. You know, and we're all bouncing around saying, well, it's only 27 miles, you know, that's easy. <laughs> and the last day was lovely. We were all held at pit stop two. Um, and the decision was made from the group that we were just going to take it easy. So we walked a lot of the morning. We got into pit stop two, had lunch there, and then we had like nine miles to go. And we did that at our own pace. Um, but it was just that, yeah, the energy on the last day was was huge. But yeah, that was the only day I would say I felt. Few people, you know, dipped in and out of kind of, that but it was that it was the general mood of the group was low and it was odd because it's the only time you felt it i've never come across it there's the odd person like yeah I'm struggling a bit but you know you could pick them up but it was like nothing we could do that morning other than just go head down and go just start yeah. just you, but you could yeah. feel it it was weird um but it was an odd you know it was an interesting day because it was the only day i ever felt that that energy was like that so that's got to be good yeah yeah and it must have been amazing coming over the finish line yeah, the finish line was, I mean, it was, you know, we had a finish um, archway, we had bagpipes playing, um, we had everyone there, you know, there was all the runners, there was all the, some people had support up there, everyone was there, and it was, as much as I thought that was going to be quite emotional, it was it was just such a buzz, you know, coming across the finish line, it was kind of unreal, you kind of were a bit like, have I just, has it just finished? Yeah. Um, and it was a real party atmosphere. You know, we stayed there for quite some time. And then that night we all went out together and it was a real party atmosphere to it. But yeah, I don't think it sunk in really until the Sunday because Saturday was always rest day. So the following day we'd normally be resting. And then and then the Monday, and then the Sunday they was like, all right, okay, we're not going, we're not going again. Mm. Um, but yeah, crossing the finish line was, yeah, but, you know, a, a memory that will stick with me forever because it was so joyful. And everyone was joyful and I expected more emotion, but everyone was just so happy, uh, which the whiskey helped. <laughs> the, whiskey, <laughs> the whiskey helped a few of them. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a proper party vibe over the finish. And that was that was lovely. And it was quite nice to go back the next day because it was lovely when it was like that and it was buzzing and everything. But actually to go back the next day when it was really peaceful, there was only a few people milling around to go and stand by the sign and kind of take in what we'd just done. And I think it more sunk in that day than it did on finish line. Because finish line was like, oh, it's a party. And, you know, whereas on the, the following day, it was like, yeah, this is this is it. You know, this is, you've come all this way. And here's the pole and now you're going. And that that's kind of when I think it sunk in more. But 
yeah, it was it was amazing. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So looking back, do you think that if you hadn't lost your dad and if you know you hadn't wanted to have raised all the the money for the hospice to to give back to what they had yeah. given to you, do you think that you would have been would have embarked on the extent of these adventures? Probably not the extent, I think. Um I've always been a bit adventurous and always liked to challenge. So I think that stuff would have, we would have done stuff, but I don't think I would have gone to the scale. Certainly this one, you know, this, this, this run. As I, said, I was always a bit like, well, who am I? Who do I think I am entering this? You know, this is like, but also I was a bit like, well, what have I got to lose? Yeah. And I think you sort of realise that, you know, you, you do only have one shot at it and you've got to give it your best. And I don't want to go with regret. So I'd rather try and, you know, see that perhaps I don't do it as well as I think I'm going to, and to not try at all. And I think so many people live in that fear where they don't try because they don't think they're good enough or they don't think they can. And, you know, that that's, I'm a massive example of that. As I say, you you know, you know, I don't have that much multi-day experience. I'm not, I didn't even call myself an ultra runner pre this trip. <laughs> I didn't feel like I fitted that category at all. Do you know? Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think doing. I don't know how many ultras it's in, how many free. I think that qualifies. But the group kind of got me to that stage because I was like, oh, I just feel like I'm a bit of an imposter. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually now I think, no, I'd go and try anything. And actually, if people are down on you for some reason, then they're not people you need to spend time with. Simple as that. You know, people think you can't do something. You haven't got proof to them that you can do it. You've just got to prove to yourself you want to do it. But no, I think definitely. I remember. You know, I was, what, for 38 when I lost dad. Um, and someone said, someone said very, very, very true, is that you almost become an adult when you lose your first parent. Because um, really I hadn't, you know, I'd lost grandparents and it is different. You know, I I, I lost my, my mum's mum and dad, my, he died before I was born. My nan died when I was very young. And my dad's parents, I knew fairly well, but the, the relationship is, isn't the same. Um, so when you, yeah, it was definitely something you become, you become an adult when you lose a parent that, that close. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a catalyst to, I think a lot of things. Um, and really it was a catalyst to me. I had a business, as you know, I had a livery yard and I lived on site and had a lot going on with that. And it was, it was amazing. And dad was a massive part of that, of making that happen. But I realized that it was all consuming me and I, was getting itchy feet to do other things. And I felt that that limited me so much, that tie to the business, um, which was amazing, but also it took everything. Um, I was running for a few years while I still had it, but it was always, you know, I remember going out and doing headcorn half marathon and then having staff shortage in the afternoon and having to come back and do a physical yard job, thinking, God, what am I doing? And also thinking I wasn't getting any younger either to be able to cope with the physical demands of work. And to, to, I didn't want to miss out on doing the stuff that I wanted to do. So I think that was definitely a catalyst to a lot of things changing and opened a lot more doors actually as well to sort of say, well, you know, come on, you only, because I think you think, oh, I'll do that. I'll do that next week, next month, next year, in five years. And suddenly the time's gone. So you might not have that time and I think it, you never know what's around the corner I know it's so cliche isn't it like you never know what's around the corner but you don't do it now so you might not yeah. and that's there's a big decision and say coming to take well six weeks off work really six weeks off work being away from home at that time there's a lot of reasons for me to not have done it um but then it the reasons to do it outweighed it and I'm so glad I did you know so yeah I think the loss is it's as sad as it is it also has a positive effect in other ways um, I think it makes you value so much more in your life than yeah. ever before. So I think that's, you know, and that's, I think you think of it as death is a sad thing and it, it really is, but it's the memories they leave behind and what you do with it. That's the powerful thing. And I, you know, there's, there's a, a lot I thank dad for, you know, for giving me the strength that he had that he passed on, but actually the strength that I had to then say, right, I'm changing stuff because I don't need to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, so the, yeah, it's, 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 it's a sort of double-edged sword, isn't it? You, you get sadness from it, but you get progression from it as well. And that's been, yeah, de definitely. There are definitely things I wouldn't have, wouldn't have done. So that's, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Suzanne. I've, oh, I've loved so hearing about it. 
Thank you for and, having me. Um, yeah, and I'm sure that there'll be lots more stories that um, that you'll share with me in due course. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> yes, looking forward then to um, to finding out what your next adventures yeah. will be, you know, what, what doors have opened up for you yeah. and, and where you'll be heading next. Yeah, so if people, you know, been inspired by your story or had their lives touched by the hospice movement and would like to make a donation to the Friends of Wisdom hospice, that you were raising the money for memory of your, the care that your dad received how could they do that do you have a just giving page yeah so i am on just giving and if you i think if you just put my name in suzanne halsey i think it's run britannia but if you put my name in it'll come up um you can go direct to the hospice and give a donation directly so if you went on the friends of the wisdom hospice website there's a way to donate there but you can definitely find it on the just giving page as well so yeah any support is and any donations so gratefully received to so say we're you know it, it's lovely to have got to where we've got to but if we can keep going you know we're going to keep the page open for a little while so all, all adds up and all makes a difference and it's funny people apologize sometimes for oh it's not enough or it's not a lot I'm sorry and it's it actually matters more that they've donated um and and left a message and I read every message more than once <laughs> um because it was what kept you going so if anyone does want to sponsor it you know it, all the pennies add up all the power clearly because you know we've had look at where we're at and it's, it's it's been friends and family really that have done the donations and some lovely random strangers that we met along the way we were given a few pounds on route and we were gave out our, our code for the um just giving page and a few people sponsored that we bumped into and that's that's so lovely so yeah all donations gratefully received and will really help the hospice to continue doing what they're doing which is wonderful work so thank you I'll put the details in the show notes so people can oh, access them in that case. Well, thank you. Good luck with the rest of your recovery. Good luck with your return to work next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Properly back in, in normality yeah, and, and reality. And yeah. yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Suzanne. It was a joy to hear about your adventures. And so much of what you learned can be transferred into lessons for life. For me personally, it was a very thought-provoking and inspiring conversation. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. Thanks so much. I'll be back soon after the summer break with another lesson from last.